0: Welcome to Resilience Rock Sales, your front row seat to rocking your sales game. I'm your host, Stacey Copas. Today's episode is brought to you by the Academy of Resilience Inner Circle. For more information, head to academyofresilience.com.au. Now on with the show. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Resilience Rock Sales. Today, I am very excited to be joined by the author of Money Magic, Michelle Masters. Michelle, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. It's lovely to be here, Stacey.
0: I've been digging into Money Magic and the more I got into it, the more and more excited I got to have our chat today. And just so that we can get people to understand a little bit about why I'm so excited to speak with you today. Um, would you share a little bit about your story just so that we can get to understand a little bit about Michelle and your journey?
1: Oh, yeah. Well, I had been looking for a long time for work I really wanted to do. I was in my mid-30s and I really was looking for work that had some meaning. Early 30s, I guess. And I was at, I was given this flyer for a free seminar in NLP, uh, Neuro Linguistic Programming. And so I went to this free seminar and I almost left because there was only two of us there in this enormous room. And these guys were waiting for other people to come. And I saw the price of the training. And at the time I didn't have the money and I didn't want to get their hopes up. So I said to the other lady, I'm just going to go. She's like, don't go, please don't go. She did not want to be the only person there. And so I stayed and within half an hour of this like three hour presentation, I'm like, oh, this is what I want to do. This is it. And because I could feel things changing. And I thought if like, years of therapy, incredibly useful and helpful, self-acceptance, self-awareness, emotional vocabulary, but it didn't actually change the patterns that I had in this. I could feel stuff actually changing. And I thought if they can do that in 15 minutes, what can they do, you know, for real? And so I, I took the training before I even finished. They asked me if I would kind of come on staff. And so, um, I, uh, I taught there for over 20 years and, um, I'm now, you know, on my own. But it's taken me all over the world. And in 2006, they asked me to create a two-day workshop around money. And I was so excited to be asked to do a workshop. I said yes before I even realized what I'd done. And then I was like, oh, my God, I know nothing about money. Like, it was like asking Vladimir Putin to do a two-day workshop on nonviolent communication. Like, it's not like, a, oh, yeah, that makes sense. You no, know, I had no relationship to money. And so I thought I better learn fast. And I realized, oh, there's no way I could learn enough about money to be useful. So I thought, let me just do what I do well, which is I took the the change stuff, which is what I did with people all the time, what I taught, and I applied it all, these change techniques to the context of money and took people through a series of changes over two days and then sent them off to see what happened. And it went better than I could have ever imagined. It's taken me all over the world at this point. So, um, and then in 2008, I took a matrix energetics workshop with Richard Bartlett and Melissa Joy, which is a quantum way of working. And so then I decided to add that in because before when it was all NLP, people would take the two days, they'd go off, they'd integrate. And over the next few days and weeks, things would start to show up. When I added in the quantum tools, because quantum is no space, no time, um, People started getting changes before the workshop, like they would register and all of a sudden get a huge raise, huge bonus, new job, et cetera. Like every time I do the workshop, I ask how many of you have made unexpected money since you signed up? And it's usually between a third and a half of the class. So it's been really fun. And I, um, I, it never gets old because getting to be with people as the beliefs shift, because those beliefs that that we end up shifting, nominally people come for a different experience of money. But you have no idea how much those things are constricting your entire experience of life, how you feel about yourself, how safe you feel, how lovable you feel, how deserving you feel, how worthy you feel. So when those things shift, people feel so much lighter and everything starts to flow so much better. So it's been a real gift. I love that you said that you nearly walked out of that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, isn't it so interesting? Because we hear these things a lot, isn't it? There's these real pivotal moments in people's lives. And often there's that element of discomfort and resistance and all of that sort of stuff. And so many times people will say, well, oh, I nearly didn't do it. Fine. You sort of just sit there and go, well, look, I'm, I'm here. I might as well. And as you said, that lady that clung to, to you was a life raft on the day. Um, and little did you know that you ended up down that path being asked to do the thing about money. And you said you didn't know anything about money. Did you, do you feel that? not knowing so much about money was actually helpful
1: in mm-hmm. then how you approached that, yeah. created that workshop? Because I didn't do anything like anybody else had done because I didn't know anything, right? And so I, I've had people say, this isn't like anything I've ever done. I was like, well, that's because I knew nothing about money. So <laughs> so I, I I said, let's try this. And it the, the neat thing about it is because it starts with wherever people are. Because I have people who've, who have taken the class multiple times who are multi, like have make hundreds of millions or who have sold their company for a billion dollars. I have had a group of people take it who were homeless and living in a group home. And one of the the director kind of took them through the class with me. So it doesn't matter what income level you're at. It's always about where you are right now, what that's like, and where you want to be next. And it's not just the money. It's about how how safe do you feel, how secure, how, how do you feel about you? Like, are, are you living the life you want? Are you just doing things you think you have to do to make money? Because that's a real travesty. Um, We spent, especially if you spend a lot of time working and it's not something that you want to do, that is so much of your life energy spent on something that doesn't feed you. So making it so that people can can work less, make more, have a good time doing it, have things flow and have it be just this win-win scenario for everybody. That's a real joy to get to be part of that.
0: I can imagine just seeing the, those shifts. And then I can imagine you'd also be getting the emails and messages for years and years afterwards, yeah. being able to and get those stories from people as well. What an absolute pleasure to be able to do that.
1: Yeah. You know, I I had no marketing. I've been in this I've been doing this work for 25 or more years. I can't even I've lost track. Um, but um up until last year I had no help with marketing. I did no marketing. And yet, like because I did the the belief work, like this took me all over. It's it's like I had a thriving business with no marketing and and really poor salesmanship. I got to say, I had terrible salesmanship. I would almost discourage people from coming. But because I cleared up so many of the beliefs around money and how this works, it didn't matter that I was poor at sales. It still it just people just found me. Right. Despite my best efforts to discourage them, they still came. Oops. And it's just indeed clearing some of those beliefs around
0: that and, and selling. Um, and obviously the audience that we're talking to today are people that are in sales. Mm -hmm. What sort of advice would you have for people, particularly people that are coming into sales? Because it'd be nice to be able to start their journey in sales with getting rid of some of these patterns that are holding them back. First of all, how would people recognize that there are patterns that are getting in the way of their sales success? Mm -hmm.
1: The the easiest way to spot your beliefs, because our beliefs are typically invisible to us. They don't see my beliefs. They just see like, Seem like that's the way things are. So, if you want to know what your beliefs are, look at what happens in your life. Do you have to work hard for money? If so, you have beliefs that you have to work hard for money. Do you have to chase sales? If so, you have beliefs that you have to chase sales. You have to do things, right? Which is the single most thing I hear from people after my trainings is their income, double, triple, quadruple, whatever it did. They say, but I didn't, I wasn't doing anything differently. Like they'll often say, these people found me because the beliefs had shifted. And so if you have a hard time asking people for money, usually this comes back to uh, feelings of self-worth or questions about our own worth, our own enoughness. And we outsource those to other people. Like we either recruit people who will confirm our insecurity about ourselves, or we train them to be... Not sure about us the way that we're not sure about us, and the more we try to pretend otherwise, um, it always comes through. What we believe about ourselves, what we believe about the world, always comes through, no matter how good a front we put on. And nobody has one belief about anything. So most of us have multiple contradictory beliefs, like some beliefs that we're okay. Most of us have some beliefs we're okay, or they're probably not listening to this podcast. They're living under a bridge somewhere, right? Um and most of us have some beliefs that maybe we're not okay because we're human and it's a human experience is a really interesting one and so as you if you do this work long enough the balance starts to shift to more and more like okay like life can be good life can be easy i'm okay i'm enough. whatever it is you're working on more and more of those beliefs start to line up and align um I went, I like to go whitewater rafting. And we went this one time. Uh, before you go whitewater rafting, they like to sit you down for the safety talk where they spend half an hour telling you all the ways you can die on the river, like terrifying the, the bejesus out of you. So, um, this one time they started telling stories and they told this one story about this day they had a couple of different groups. And in one group was a raft full of really big athletic guys. And another group was a group of nine year old Cub Scouts, Boy Scouts. And at some point, those two boats decided to have a race. And guess who won? The Cub Scouts. The Cub Scouts, because the the guys were all trying to prove how strong they were, but they were not rowing together. Whereas the Cub Scouts rowed together. And that made such a difference. And so when our beliefs, our beliefs don't have, we don't have to have big, strong, powerful beliefs. We have to have beliefs that are all kind of rowing together. And then things just work so beautifully right? And so some of the major things that often stop people in sales are their their doubts about themselves, their beliefs that you got to hustle, that there's a limited number out there. Like, this is actually not true. You don't have to compete or fight for sales, actually. And it's not a numbers game. You don't have to talk to 100 people. You only have to talk to the 10 people that actually need what you want. Like, if that's the number of sales you need, um and so when you when your beliefs line up those people start to find you right because you're a good match with them and because you're not believing anymore that oh you've got to if i want this i've got to do this it's funny the first time we came out to australia um i forget when it was or sometime in the 2000 maybe 2010 or something and uh it, for me, that was uh, I, I had only been doing the money magic a couple of years, and um, and that was a big expense to fl- for me and my partner to go for the amount of time we were going to lose our normal work, flying there, staying there, teaching there, all that. I figured out how much it was, and I started to panic. And then I remembered what I do. and I thought, okay, what would I like to make in profit? And I think at the time it was I wanted to make twenty five thousand u s which at the time seemed like a lot of money to me. I mean, it was half of what I made from the the company I was training with for the entire year. So it seemed like a big number, but that's what I decided on, like I said, it was a while back. Um, and then I forgot about it. I did not think, okay, how many people do I have to have in the seats? What are my expenses? What are the you know what kind of profit do I have to? Like I did none of that. I forgot about it. When I got back. And I went through and I tallied everything up and all the expenses and all. It was like $25,100 in profit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've had that happen since then in other ways, other goals that I set. I have no idea how they happen and then there they are. So with that, how do you resist the urge to then,
0: I guess for most people that are listening and even like personally, it's putting that, having that intention, that clarity going, this is what I want. How do you then let go of the I need to do all of these things and I need to have a plan and I need to work mm-hmm. the plan? How do you recommend that people reconcile that that sort of pull between the two of those things?
1: Well, you gotta address the beliefs that are driving those. And the beliefs are usually you have to work hard, um, that you only deserve it if you've put in the sweat, right? Not true, by the way. If you if working hard made you money, like High school teachers and janitors and nurses would be the 1% of the world, right? Those people work so hard. So it's not true. And there are people making a bunch of money who don't work that hard. There are people who plan and have all these practices in place and still never make any money. And then there are people like me who apparently have no no plans or practices and still manage to to make money. So it's it's clearing up the beliefs that are in the way. And the more you clear up those beliefs and one of the things I'm like, I'm running an online money magic class right now. And one of the things that I notice is, is over and over again, people will confuse what they actually want with what they have, think they have to do to get it. So I'll often say to somebody, what do you want? They'll say, well, I want, um, I want six clients a week, you know, at this rate, blah, blah, blah. And that's not actually what they want. What they want is a certain amount of income. And so they've come up with this whole process, right, that they think they need to do. And um, often too, I'll ask them, I mean, how come, you know, what lets you know that you want that amount of money? And it's because they think if they have that amount, they'll feel safe. And I will tell you, I've had clients who have sold their company. Uh, one woman I can think, I can see her face right now. She sold her company for a billion dollars, completely riddled with anxiety, gave herself cancer, right? And she's not alone. So, and there are people who aren't making millions who actually do experience themselves as safe and secure. One of the examples I use is here's a conversation you'll never hear. You'll never see somebody sit down in their forties with an oxygen planner to figure out how much oxygen they'll need for the rest of their life. You're going to live a long time. You're going to work out a lot. We're going to need more. You know, you're going to watch a lot of scary movies. Like we assume that oxygen will be there when we need it. Sometimes we t- we need more, sometimes we need less, but nobody is hoarding oxygen against a rainy day. Well, there might be a few people. There are a few really paranoid people, but most of us do not hoard oxygen against a rainy day. Most of the problems with inequity in the world are because people are afraid and they are hoarding in the illusion that if they can bank up enough, then they will be safe. Whereas if you know that if you build it, they will come if you if you you know that what you need can come in a multiple ways wonderful ways at any given time, then there is less need to hoard because having a ton of money is not always the best case scenario. you know they've done surveys where the people who had the reported the highest level of happiness this was about ten years ago, so it may have changed was about two hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year u s Below that and above that, decreasing experiences of happiness and satisfaction. Because a lot of money takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of care. attending Like it, it needs attention. Mm. And so diminishing returns. Now, some people, they have legitimate reasons that it works better for them to make more than that. And some people are quite content with less, right? They're actually living the life they want to lead because it's not always about money too. So so many of the things we want can come not through money. We've gotten kind of lazy and we always think we need money to get the things we want. We had this one woman who took the class. She wasn't working. She didn't really want to work, but there were some things she wanted. She wanted a car, she wanted a vacation, blah, blah, blah. So she took the class so she could clear up her beliefs and get a job to make money. Well, at the end of the class, she still didn't have a job, but she had gotten everything she wanted, had shown up in a different way. Somebody gave her a car and other people, they lent her their holiday homes. Somebody else gave her, you know, tickets for playing, like every single thing she thought she needed money for showed up in a different way. And so when you're in that kind of flow, the possibilities are endless and you don't have to kill yourself and do a bunch of stuff that really doesn't make you happy. It's so interesting too, because I hear people talk about
0: that they want a certain amount of money as well. Mm -hmm. And then when you dig deeper and go well, so well, what would that mean for you, what would that look like? What would that enable you to do huh? often it's something that they could do right now, yeah yeah
1: here's the here's the one like i and I can't tell you how common this is, like I want to work this amount of time and have this amount of so I make this amount of money so that what so that then I can spend time with my kids, like oh, okay well. It, would it be okay if you could spend time with your kids right now and your quality of life was still good like would that how would that be okay it takes them a while for that to like ricochet through like that's an option, but instead of a ten year plan on all the things you have to do and be and how hard you have to work so that you can then relax what if the whole thing the whole next ten years could be fun and and connected to your family and spacious like wouldn't that be a better situation, right? So when people are recognizing
0: from listening to what you've shared there and they're going, okay, yep, they're nodding, they're nodding, they're nodding, yep, I've got those sort of patterns, where would people start with starting to, first of all, recognize those and then starting to shift them?
1: Yeah, it is very difficult to shift your beliefs on your own. Like I've been doing this work, like I said, 25 or more years, and when I have something up, I go see somebody else. Because we tend to be blind to our own stuff. Like even the world's best brain surgeon would not do brain surgery on himself or herself, right? That would be a really bad idea. And there's not a book out there called Brain Surgery for Dummies so that you can do it in your backyard and save money, right? So I usually recommend it not necessarily, I mean, I'm not pushing for more clients, but I really recommend doing work with somebody who knows how to change beliefs. And so part of the reason I wrote the Money Magic book, because it's it's priced really, it's not priced to make me, like I, I'm not getting rich off the book. I wrote it so that there would be something for people to have a resource to start to sh- to go through these exercises because the exercises in that book are designed to start shifting the patterning. Because just wanting the patterning to be different won't shift it. The things that are in our way are not just conscious thoughts. You can't just consciously decide to change your beliefs because your beliefs are not conscious. They're stored in a different part of the brain from your conscious mind. Like literally it's back here. It's not up in the core, cerebral cortex. And so I've seen a lot of, of people say, well, you know, you just make a new decision. It's like, okay, but that's, that's not where the stuff that's in your way is. So it's like if there was faulty wiring in your basement and you sent a team of electricians up to the penthouse to rewire it and said, no, it should be fine. So to rewire it, you have to actually access the part of the brains where our beliefs are stored. And those limiting beliefs are online really early and they're in place before our cerebral cortex is really doing anything other than holding our our hair up. And so this allowed, the, the way that the exercises are structured gets access to the places where the old patterning is stored and starts to make new neural connections. So it it like rewires, it starts to revise that old software. And the good news about software is if you re- if you rewrite it properly, it stays rewritten. You don't have to keep, you know, you don't have to spend 10 days every day rewriting your software if you do it correctly the first time. So these patterns are designed to start to rewire stuff. So a lot of times people at the end of the, if we're doing the two-day workshop, they'll say, okay, they used to say, now what do we do? Like they were expecting me to give them a list of follow-up items. And I'll say, go home, you know, we're done, go home, integrate, see what happens. Because done properly, the stuff stays changed. Now, most people, like I said, have more than one belief that's in their way, but each one that you shift starts to give you more and more of the experience that you want. So life can get better and better, and in some ways, that's easier on us for it to get progressively better than to it go from wherever it is to everything you want everywhere all at once. That's that's a little too much, you know. I mean, when when we go to Europe, we don't want to get off the, the plane in France and have them say, "Here's all your meals for the next three weeks that you're going to be here," and all the experiences, like you know, you want to savor. And so it's okay to start to revise these and let life get progressively better and better and easier. I've been
0: listening to your audio version of Money Magic. There's excellent exercises, yeah. excellent exercises in there. It just gives people, it's just that's a good start, isn't it, to get hold yeah. of that. And I like the audio because I've got you talking it through. Yeah. And once. the
1: hemisphere syncing music to help your brain integrate better.
0: Yeah. yeah, so I think I need to stick the headphones in when I do that one next time. It's an excellent resource. I do recommend people getting hold, particularly the audio version is fantastic. Yeah. From a sales perspective, where there is that element of the pressure is around numbers and competition and all of those mm-hmm. type of things. Do you find that when people do this work, then they can still be okay in that environment? That's still that pressure? Is that something that, that people find difficult?
1: Well, it kind of depends on the beliefs a person has. So most of our beliefs about ourselves are in place by age three and pretty much uh, every, um, almost all our beliefs are in place by age six. And so our beliefs about ourselves, our beliefs about the world, what's possible for us, what we're capable of, what we're worth, what we deserve, how the world works, uh, those are pretty much set by the time we're six. And so what we do then is we go out and we tend to um recreate uh we tend to recruit people that match our belief system as our intimate partners and the people that we work with those are the two main places uh, friends as well but especially intimate partners and the people we work for or with tend to have a lot in common with our growing up Let's just say, okay? And so if our growing up was difficult, if we, if we grow up with folks who are in a lot of pain or stuck, the odds are high that we may choose people either to live with or work with or work for who are similarly unhappy or stuck. So when we change our beliefs, it doesn't necessarily change them. It can change our results. And it can change our experience of their behavior. So it doesn't have to be so much of a problem. But there, those people um, will probably still continue to be who they are. Sometimes it doesn't bother us. It becomes a non-issue. Or sometimes what happens is <clears throat> we find places that are a better match than for what we know now about ourselves in the world kind of upgrade. Interesting. That's interesting because I've definitely heard it. That
0: you do end up, I like, guess, with intimate relationships, and I know personally, having been married and divorced, and you then when you go yeah. back and you look at it and you go, "Oh my gosh, it was just like I basically repeated my parents' relationship," yeah. and yeah. and then once you got that recognition, but I hadn't heard it, re- I hadn't heard it mentioned in the context of who you work with and for, mm-hmm. and so that's really interesting. I know I'm going to be going back, going, "Gosh, what was that?" <laughs> That's super interesting as far as that goes. And so, and as you were talking about that, I'm thinking, oh, I'm wondering if people that then start to do this work do end up then changing where they work and what they do in the process as well. So as the beliefs are changing, then the world around is going to change to reflect those beliefs, isn't it?
1: Yes. Yes. I've had it work both ways. I've had it where they decide to leave um, or they get fired and it turns out to be the best thing ever. Or I've also had this happen where all of a sudden somebody's, you know, crabby-ass boss gets shifted around and they get a new boss who's much better. Like after they change their beliefs, suddenly there's a reshuffle and they get somebody that's much more aligned with who they are now. More often it's the former, but I have people have that experience too.
0: Yeah, these things work in mysterious ways, don't they? Yes, yes. And, and and I love that too because it, it is about the external environment is a reflection, isn't it? Because you, of, of the beliefs and how you see and the the, the world being a mirror, yeah. and that's so interesting. So changing what's going out into the world, isn't it? And how you're seeing it. And I also think you mentioned earlier that you know it's only been in the last year that you personally have decided to you know, get some help in your mm-hmm. business sales mm-hmm. and marketing. So what was it that prompted reaching out for that yourself?
1: Yeah, well, I was very comfortable, but I think COVID was such an interesting thing, in that it gave everybody a timeout. I got I got COVID uh, before it was a, before it was fashionable. I got COVID in uh, I think we we might have picked it up in Melbourne, but it hit me in Sydney in 2019. I was teaching, so it was June or July. So before it was popular, but uh, I had never had the flu. And I got it, and I fainted while I was teaching because I didn't eat, because I didn't feel right. But I had a fever, and I hadn't had a fever in like 20 years. And I only get a fever when I need an identity update. And I was due. And so um, so I was sick for about a day and a half, and then it was done. My partner was sick for about two, and then done. Um, Got what I needed all done. But in the, in the year or so after, and especially with kind of the, everything kind of stopping all the previous momentum stopping for a while, this major expansion happened for me on the inside. Like who I, who I, who I experienced myself to be is so vastly different. It was only four years ago, so vastly different. It was vastly different within a year and it's continued on that. And so as a result of that, like I've only got so many years on the planet and it is, it's okay. I'm fine with that but it's there's things that i want to have in place before i go there's ways that i want to leave i want this work to spread and i want there's a whole lot of structures i want to put in place so that more and more people have more and more access to revising that stuff and living the life they want and so it became clear like okay it's time to spread this a little further And I basically said to the, this is how it works for me now. Because when you get really clear, clarity is a big deal. But I basically said to the universe, I said, okay, I'm ready. Um, I need some help with marketing. Within 24 hours, Phil of Phil Hensler of Follow Your Passion sent me a direct message on Facebook saying, hey, guess what? We're doing this thing. I'd love to, you know, this, this marketing company, I'd love to talk to you. And I thought, Phil, okay, knows my work has experienced my work, I trust Phil, that's a good match. Because most of my problems with marketing, I didn't like a lot of A lot of it would appeal to fear, like mm. scarcity, fear of missing out. Oh, it's going to cause, you know, there was a lot of it was emotionally manipulative and fear-based. And that's not my work. So I was clear it had to be like joy and inspiration-based. Like, I'm not going to scare anybody into taking the workshop. That's counterproductive. And so we had a conversation and it was like, all good. So that's how, but that's how it these days, because I've cleared up a lot of this stuff, when I get clear, there's something I want and I actually want it. It usually shows up between one to seven days. Somebody will call me, email me, direct message me. And there we are. I don't have to send out lots of calls. Like, who do you know? That's so much work. I love that. And it sounds so effortless. And a lot of people are going, I want that. I want that and I'm glad
0: that you put that out to the universe because it was because that you ended up hearing from Phil that Phil introduced (laughs) us so I, I like all of these when you when you see just that clarity and that intention and I guess and then surrendered as well and then it's amazing then those little little ripple effects that then come from some of those things when you look back on them as well which is incredibly powerful.
1: And and I understand where the word surrender comes from. In a certain sense, it's true, but it doesn't feel like surrender because at this point, I have so much evidence that it's not like okay, I have to let this go. It's like oh no, this not my. That's not my work. That's not my. That's not my work to find those people. My work. Your work is to steer, not to paddle. Truly, right? This is what I've been. Um, the metaphor I've been using lately your work is really steer. What do you want your life to be like? How do you want to feel? What do you want to do? It's that more than the paddling to get yourself there. My gosh, that's the writer
0: genre, isn't it? <laughs> Definitely a writer genre. I think that might be up there for the title of this episode. I think I've not heard it described as that way before either about steering, not paddling. And that just sounds fantastic. And I think it, even just issues of the clarity about what you want from what I've seen. And even just personally, I think that's one of the hardest questions to answer, isn't it? No.
1: Yeah. Cause you know why? Because the first off, our beliefs about needing and wanting, there's two periods when they're getting formed. There's two windows when the beliefs get formed in windows, time windows. And so the first time window is between two to six months. And the second time window is between 18 months and three years old, also called the terrible twos. Because it's when kids are discovering they have their own needs and wants separate from their parents, they kind of give their parents the finger and it's all about them for a while. There's one more period where that happens and that's adolescence, where they go through again. It's all about them and what they want, right? These are programmed in. They're not character flaws. They're not bad kids. It's like they are designed to start to notice their own needs and wants. And advocate for them instead of operating as an extension of their parents. So it's incredibly important, but it causes all kinds of ripples when it happens, especially if the parents are stressed or overwhelmed. When their kid starts, you know, no, no, mine, and wanting, sometimes it doesn't go well. And if a kid, either a parent has an intense response or parents are overwhelmed, either not just from the wanting, but typically from their lives in general, the kid will start to notice, Ooh, this may not be okay. And they start to dial that back. And like you ask most people, uh, um, what's the definition of being good for a kid? And almost nobody will say why they clearly state what they want. Like they will mostly say, okay, be quiet, do what you're told, right? Don't make any waves. These are like, usually what people will describe a kid that's good. This is a kid who's who's not allowed to want much. Mm. So it happens really young and then it becomes automated. And then in our 30s, we go, our 40s, we go to workshops. They're like, oh, what do you want? And it's like, file not found, file not found, because that patterning is still running. Like in a perfect world, when we hit 18 or 21 or whatever, we moved out of the house, Like all of that patterning would reopen for revision. Like, okay, do you want to keep these beliefs? But unlike your phone, your brain is not designed to update itself. It is designed to stabilize the beliefs you've already got. So it doesn't just make it hard to change, it flat out resists change. And that's why these change patterns are so important, because they are designed in a way that actually works to get the wiring to change because just wanting it to be different does if wanting it to be different changed it everyone would be instantly changing their beliefs all the time yeah and it's so interesting as you talk about it I'm like
0: yep picturing those early days and I you know was a child of the you know late 70s early 80s so the very mm-hmm. authoritarian approach and it was like yeah it was it definitely was not safe to 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 do anything other than comply really, wasn't it? And it's so interesting then how then that then flows through. And as you said, it's like once you do get to your 30s and your 40s, that's when all of us start to go to the start to go to the workshops and start to unpack this stuff.
1: Yeah, start to write affirmations on our mirrors and stuff. But the thing is, saying the affirmation is not a bad thing, but it doesn't change the original wiring. If it did, like affirmations, all we would have to do is put the affirmations we want on the mirror and everything would change. But it it, it doesn't, right? It's not a bad thing because it does get us to picture what we want. It does get us to state it. But the old patterning is still running. And so when you get the old patterning out of the way, when it's not running interference against what you want, then getting clear about what you want, you pretty much only have to, to decide that once. You don't have to rehearse it, right? Like, oh, I would like help with my marketing. Oh, look, there it is.
0: That's fantastic. And you mentioned there about interference and, and and things like that. And I've actually got a little reminder in my phone that pops up because I heard someone else talk about it. And it was about, you know, clearing the interference between what you want and where you are. Mm-hmm. And what could that look like? Because you know, which the podcast is resilience rocks and, and mm-hmm. resilience rocks being those sort of foundational things and yeah. the foundational pieces. So from a, a belief shift perspective, what are some of the things that people would do on a consistent basis? Like are there sort of daily practices or their daily rituals or anything like that people can do in order to work on those beliefs?
1: Well, again, if you if you do the things correctly, like the, like the things I put in the book, and I don't say this to try and sell the book, honestly. I wrote the book because I actually believe this stuff, not because I thought this is a way to make good money and because I've experienced it. So it's not about repetition as much as it is about Um, accessing the parts of the brain that were developing at the time when the original belief got formed. But see, you don't have to, if you do, I laid these techniques out so you don't have to think about that. It naturally kind of does it for you. Um, But when you can access the part of the brain where the old beliefs are stored and then make new associations, new neural connections between those old parts of the brain and what your adult self now knows and wants, then, then it's it feels like magic because things just start to change. So, I was doing a, I was doing my online class and one of the guys who'd taken it several times he said, Look, I'm starting to feel kind of anxious. Should I do the change patterns more? And I said, Well, how often are you doing them? He said, Every day. I'm like, Oh my God, stop! That is too much change. Because all change, even good change, is stressful for the system. Like give your system a break. Like do the change wait a week or two before you do an- another one, right? Mm-hmm. To let the dust settle, let your system integrate, catch its breath. Because um, we don't want all change all the time. That that would be way too much. So what I usually recommend people do is, you know, if, they, if they're if they going through the book, there's like a four or five different change patterns in there. To kind of do them at your own pace. You can always go back and do on something else later. Or if there's another layer that shows up, I mean, I have people who've taken my workshop 11, 12 times because every time they take it, they go from here to the next place. And then there's, oh, okay, that's good. Now there's another place. And the thing that is so interesting about the people who do this, you know, work kind of in stages is they, they, the single most thing they tell me is they feel so much lighter. Mm. Like, and you can see it. Like they literally, they're, they're, they look younger, they look, more relaxed, they look lighter, more light even comes off their skin because they're not carrying around, they're not having to fight against the weight of, you know, not safe, not lovable, worthless, uh, not deserving that so many of us struggle with. Or worse, and this is so common, they're trying to carry the pains and burdens or heal the pains and burdens of their family of origin or their lineage. And that will screw somebody right into the ground and never make it never change it for the lineage and then just bury somebody on the weight of all this stuff of other people's pain that they can't change.
0: Yeah, I can imagine when you mentioned that that guy doing the change patterns every day like my gosh. Yeah. But it's just, it's good to know again that you can't yeah. there is an element of overdoing these things. Yeah. But I think that to me that sort of feels like that's a belief, isn't it? That again you still you, just, you still need to that work work, yeah. work, 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 work. It, Yeah, yeah. is an outcome, isn't it?
1: Yeah, and that we can change other people's stuff. If I were going to offer a daily practice, mm-hmm. what I would actually suggest, because I heard that somebody said a native healer of theirs said that 60% of the pain we carry is not our own. I would say that's a conservative estimate. In my experience, it's actually higher. So if I were to recommend a daily practice, it would be at least once a day to notice of whatever you're experiencing, how much of it is actually yours, what percentage. And just for a few minutes, take everything that's not yours. Like imagine you could lift it up off you, put it over to the side and look at it from the outside for a minute and take a few breaths, just having your own experience. Because right there, most people will instantly feel lighter. We don't realize how much of what we're carrying is not even ours. So that wouldn't be bad emotional hygiene to once a day at least say, okay, what percentage of what I'm experiencing is, is mine? Lift everything else off for at least uh, 10 seconds. That's amazing. I'm definitely going to add that <laughs> into mine because again, there's so much
0: talk about being present in the moment. And mm-hmm. I just think that that just adds another layer. I guess yeah. it's actually taking off another layer technically, isn't it? Yeah. It's just a, a next level version of being in the moment, but as, but as you're saying, being what's yours in the moment, not what yes. is everybody else's. And, uh, yeah, I'm definitely going to do that one mm-hmm. for sure.
1: Last thing I'll say, we all are superheroes with superpowers, but they only work on our pain, our lives, our stuff. We don't get to to change other people's experience. That's their right, not ours. So when you use your powers for what they actually work on, difference that was just that's super valuable because
0: there is that element of feeling like we need to we need to do all these things for other people um and that's also even like my my painting behind me around the lighthouse because mm. it's it's that's my reminder to myself again job of the lighthouse is to shine the light not to save the boats and yes yes that constant thing it's like again we just need to focus on what's ours and do that and Then, really, by doing that, then we actually allow other people to do the same, isn't it? And if we were all, imagine if we were all in that space where we only were carrying what
1: was ours. It's a bit of a goosebumps feeling, isn't it? Yeah. It's lighter and so much more doable. So, the steering, not paddling.
0: Job is to steer, not paddling. Yep. Carrying what's ours. This has just been such a valuable conversation. I'm so grateful for you know your your time and your wisdom and your experience and being able to articulate these things in in ways that it just really it re- resonates and connects and and is going to leave a lasting impression as well and there's one more element on the resilience rock's angle as well is there is a little bit of a musical twist with that rock um mm-hmm. because music is one of my rituals for resilience mm-hmm. and so I'd love to hear for you what. What piece of music do you have as a bit of a go in order to shift your state whether it's you know up down grounded all of those type of things what's your go go to piece of music that would be one of your resilience rocks
1: Yes well the universe often speaks to me through music so I have a dozens of them but there was this I had this dream although it didn't feel like a dream uh I think in my 30s where God appeared to me as a small black woman in a blue sequin dress and sang ain't no mountain high enough to me, which is these, which is an incredible metaphor for, I know you must follow this on, you know, just remember what I told you the day I set you free. Ain't no mountain high enough. Ain't no valley low enough. Keep you from me. Hey. And that has been my experience that we, we are so much more loved and blessed than we realize. There is nowhere where where help is not available, where we're not loved and cared for. Even if we can't feel it, it's, we are always loved. We are always cared for. So that has been, for me, one of the more lovely experiences, one of the more lovely gifts I've been given. That is
0: absolutely beautiful. And I feel really I feel really blessed to share that moment with you and have you share that with me and with our audience as well. So... Yeah. again, ain't no mountain high enough, and yeah give a whole
1: new meaning to the word supreme being if you're yeah. old enough to get that reference, Diana Ross and the supremes
0: is <laughs> I definitely picked up what you're putting down. I'm a human jukebox, I hear a word or two, and it's like a jukebox kicks into the kicks into a song, and music is just such a an amazing, amazing gift that we have and a great way to communicate, shift our vibration, shift our energy, help us connect with others and with ourselves and and with greater powers as well. So thank you so much. And for those who would like to connect with you further, find out more mm-hmm. about Money Magic, the workshops, the book, what's the best way for people to do that?
1: Oh, sure. Through through my website, michellemastersnlp.com.
0: I'll put links to that as well. And I'm really loving Money Magic, the book, and I'm mm-hmm. going to be looking out for the next round of money magic online as well. So again, thank you so much for your gift today. And I look forward to continuing the conversation. And until next time, to the next episode of Resilience Rocks Sales, be your best. Thanks for joining us again this week on Resilience Rocks Sales. Don't just listen though, take action. The best sales professionals are always learning. Head over to resiliencerocks.com now to go backstage and get the resources mentioned today to help rock your sales goals.